the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Emery Hunt. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come join us in the chat. We love getting your interaction, especially when we are laying out some locks. Now, Emery, uh, very excited to have you here. Just a quick introduction for those who, who don't Watch CBS Sports HQ all the time. For those who don't, check us out on the early edge where we are often even paired together breaking down some of this college football action. For those who have not yet read CBSSports.com for his FCS power rankings, his breaking down of NFL draft prospects at every single level of football, he's also on the NFL. Any football, any level, Emory's got you covered. You can also hear him calling games on the weekend. Uh, where are you going to be this weekend? I got the Georgetown Columbia game, the Lou Little Trophy. I can't wait. I'm always excited to get back to uh, D.C. because they have some great food, no, nonetheless, uh, at, at Georgetown. But also, they always play some entertaining games. So we got uh, you all over the place. Football at any level. Emory is your guy. We're very excited to to have him here. And and speaking of rivalries, before we get out of here, we might need to uh, talk about a little rivalry game that I know is close to your heart uh, coming up this weekend on Saturday. But the business at hand is to try to get these people set with some early bird locks for the weeknight slate. We don't always get, you know, six games before Saturday even starts. Haven't really since the first week of the season. So let's dive right in. The Thursday night gets started with another rivalry trophy is the battle for the Black Diamond Trophy. West Virginia and Virginia Tech in Lane Stadium. Right now we're looking at the Hokies as about a one and a half point home underdog over under a 52 and a half. Now, when we were breaking down games last year, I remember that you were early on Grant Wells. You know, you you were in there, you know, discussing his game, how important he was, and after a little bit of a rough start, you know, it was good to be able to you know, get get Wofford in there. You know, you can finally finally get some the juices flowing again. Uh, what do you make of Grant Wells and this Virginia Tech offense, which at least for from my eye 
that's the group that really needs to to bring it up right now. Virginia Tech defensively, especially up front, seems to be living up to that lunch pail reputation. Uh, what do you make of Wells so far in the early part of the season with the Hokies? You know, it's it's funny because when we first started doing these things, he was at Marshall, and this was during the pan- the early parts of the pandemic or when the pandemic started, right? And Marshall was always on CBS Sports Network because they were playing ball when everyone else was still trying to decide if they were playing. And Grant Wells was a freshman, was lighting it up. It was on fire. Marshall was the darling of that season. I think they got ranked as high as 15th. And it's because he was playing really well. Then they got beat by Rice and then it kind of started to fall downhill. You start to see that trickle over into the following season turning the ball over. You saw this earlier in the year against Old Dominion, turning the ball over. I'm glad he finally got back on the right track. You hope that the turnover bug is is over for him because he, he's shown that he's a really good talent. But because of that, I, I really can't trust Virginia Tech's offense against a team that I know can score the ball in West Virginia. And, and if it were me, um, and I hope West Virginia's coaching staff is listening to this and, and listen to me clearly, Give C.J. Donaldson the football. That's your best back. I'm tired of seeing those guys play around without giving him the football. Every time I look up, he's ripping off some long, ridiculous run. It kind of reminds me of uh, when um, when Pitt was playing a few years ago and uh, they had um, homeboy on, at the end, the, the running back um, that's now with the Cardinals. They had him at playing the end, and then they realized he's our best back and they put him in the backfield, and next thing you know, he's no one wants to tackle him. This is the same thing here with C.J. Donaldson. Uh, give him the football. He's your best back. I like West Virginia in this game, although the Hokies will play tough, but you know, I, I would say take West Virginia here. So you've got an offense that with J.T. Daniels, like I, I like Bryce Ford Wheaton. I understand why you might be in, entranced by trying to feed him as much as possible, but Donaldson has been in, incredibly productive. Do you think that Daniels has has lived up to the expectations and sort of this last chance for him to recapture some of that five-star glory? Like from your NFL draft scouting eye, is there a pro future for the former USC, former Georgia, now West Virginia quarterback? Yeah, I think so. And I, again, I remember people were talking about him as a first round pick. That's out the door. And this is where I stood last year. I said, listen, we have options now. And if I'm, you know, JT Daniels, I'm done playing a transfer portal game and going to another school. I'm going to go jump right into the USFL or XFL. I still think if I'm JT Daniels, I jump into the XFL. The reason why I say that is because they're the first one out the gate. You know, they start in February. You can play a full season there and reevaluate, get reevaluated by the NFL in time for the April draft because their season is done early April. So if I'm JT Daniels and I still have a lot of questions about my game, I'm jumping right into the XFL. I'm bypassing all of this pre-draft, you know, craziness at the combine, all the stuff like that. I'm going to play, you know, um, in the XFL and then reevaluate myself from there and then hopefully get drafted by the NFL. All right, so Emery's going with West Virginia. That's the way you would lean on that, lay the short number of point and a half. So West Virginia Tech has a 23-10 and 10 record on Thursday night football. That includes a 13-5 and 5 record in Lane Stadium. Hmm. 
Give me the Hokies. I'll go lunch bail defense. Uh, but listen, West Virginia needs this one bad because you've got the the close loss, uh, obviously, at the beginning of the season to Pitt. Then you go an overtime loss to Kansas. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of desperation from both of these teams a little bit later in the game. Maybe they play a little bit tight. I also don't hate sniffing the under at 52 and a half. But if uh, choosing a side here, give me the Hokies plus one and a half. Taking it over to the Sun Belt also on Thursday night. Coastal Carolina, 3-0. and You know, mullet madness. Everything's crazy. Everything's good. But this team finds itself just as a three-point favorite against 0-3 Georgia State. Buddy, losing to Charlotte is not a good look for the Panthers. I thought this offense was humming, but the defense has sprung a leak Emory, what can Georgia State do to try to fix things with a big Sun Belt matchup on deck and the Chanticleers coming into town? Well, they got to get back to basics, man. This was supposed to be the most competitive and stacked team on both sides of the ball Georgia State has had. I love Darren uh, Granger at quarterback. I love their defense. Usually, they're going to be good on both sides of the line of scrimmage. They only lost one starter last year. Uh up front and he's now playing for the bears, I believe in, in, in Gallimore. So mm-hmm. for me, it's like, wow, watch. That's why I thought they would keep this thing close against South Carolina. You know, I felt like this was a team that could be a problem. They gave Auburn a problem last year. I think in order to win this game, they would have to slow the pace down. Cause we know, uh, you know, uh, coastal Carolina loves to play with tempo and pace and they run that, that spread option attack, uh, out the gun. It kind of can fool you and lure you to sleep and they'll hit big plays deep down the field. So, they got to just get back to what they've done throughout the course of, you know, their head coach's tenure. It's dominated up front, but it's tough because, yes, it looks like they could dominate up front. But when you look at Coastal's offensive line, you think, all right, yeah, 5'9", 5'10", 5'9", 5'10". They should be able to push those guys around. They are some of the strongest point of attack offensive linemen you'll find. So I feel like this is still a bad matchup for Georgia State. I understand why the, why the line is close, but I'm going to go ahead on and take Grayson McCall, and the Chanticleers uh, here in this matchup against Georgia State. Do you think that Coastal Carolina still has, because, you know, App State's one of the big stories of the season there in the Sun Belt. We've already seen, you know, the good and the bad with Marshall. We've seen ODU get a win against Virginia Tech, be competitive against Virginia. I mean, this, that East division is absolutely loaded. Now, what? How do you handicap Coastal's ability to come out on top and compete with some of the better teams in that division? I mean, Georgia Southern even, you know, gets the win against Nebraska little bit of a letdown uh, the following week, but definitely not a team that you can look past as Clay Hilton has found some success early right away. Is Coastal, are they poised right now to be able to overcome some of the losses on the defensive side of the ball, be able to ride that offensive line and Grayson McCall uh, all the way to making it to a Sunbelt championship this year? Well, that's going to be the biggest test because like you said, the East division is now the toughest. You know, as Fat Joe said, yesterday's price ain't today's price. Well, yesterday's East ain't today's East. You know, it, it is legitimately tough. You throw in James Madison in the mix, too. That team is dangerous. Uh, Marshall is tough. So, yeah, this is now a, a, a huge challenge for Coastal Carolina. But what they have going for them, Grayson McCall, you need great quarterback play, you know, on you know in, in football, period, in college football. But in, in, in this division, you need great quarterback play. They have, I think, the best quarterback in this side of the division. So for me, that's 
alone is worth at least a touchdown in every game. So you start from there and you work your way, work your way down. Defensively, if they can get up to speed, my thing is, hey, the, with the way your offense plays, uh, you can now kind of dictate the pace, pin your ears back and get up to the quarterback. That's what they've done over the last three to four years. That's why they've always had a terrific pass rusher that can get to the quarterback because teams are now pressing to try to match the offense um, of Coastal Carolina. Now their defense can pin their ears back and really get after it. So, yeah, they still have enough to where they can compete in the East and they still can be considered a favorite in the East. But, man, that gauntlet is tough now with, with ODU playing competitive ball, yep. Marshall there, and doggone uh, App State doing what App State does consistently. And I, I was, you know, here in Raleigh, got a lot of friends in Boone. People have been asking about, you know, what is the ceiling? And the toughest thing that uh, any team from the Sun Belt has when it comes to trying to make a New Year's Six bowl game, it's like, man, I, I think you might take a couple L's. Like the best team in the Sun Belt might be better than any other group of five champion, but the way the committee will dock you just from taking any losses, it's going to be really tough to get out of there with uh, as few losses as possible. For my lock on this game, I'm, I'm scarred by what I saw from Georgia State against Charlotte. I am aware of what Coastal Carolina can do. Give me the over. I don't even care if it's all the way up there at 63 and a half, 64 points. I think we see some uh, we see some points here, so I will go over the total. Now, I'm especially excited uh, about having you here because tomorrow FCS Power Rankings drops on Wednesday for cbsports.com. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, all right. Chattanooga Mocks last week, number 12 in the country in the FCS power rankings. They take on Illinois. Uh, our, our line right now, not available at Caesars, but I think we're around 19. If you look at some of the offshore books, is Chattanooga ready uh, to go up against Chase Brown, a deep running back room, and, and really a ferocious Illinois defense that I think is probably the best unit on that team? Uh, how do you see that matchup going for Brett Bielma's squad? Listen, would you say... Illinois' point of attack on both sides of the ball is better than Kentucky's point of attack last year? No. Right, exactly, because that's where Chattanooga gave Kentucky some problems up front. They had an outside shot to win that game against Kentucky last year before uh, the bottom fell out. And I think the difference in this one, when you look at Chattanooga now, they're still playing very good defense. They're still able to run the football. Alien Ford or Alien Ford, um, is a really good running back, right? And I also feel like with Hutchinson, the quarterback, Preston Hutchinson not turning the ball over, that's huge. You know, he's protecting the ball a lot better this year, and they're actually winning games because of their strengths and not because of happenstance. I know um, they had an issue last year where a game got out of hand and it was some weird turnover that happened and they end up winning. But if I'm Illinois and, and these corners are good and size is not a skill, but Illinois has an opportunity out on a perimeter. You got to put these corners to the test, not only in, in catching and uh, defending the pass, but also stopping the run. So running outside toward these 5'9", 175 corners, make them consistently make tackles is where I think Illinois has a shot. So 19, while on its surface, looks like a lot. I'm going to lay those points with Illinois um, because I, I do feel like the Illini will find success on the outside on both ends of offense, running the ball and also throwing the football. Although Chattanooga is still one of the tougher teams in the FCS because of all of the things I mentioned, but this right here to me is a bad matchup for him. 
So listen, em, it's, uh, George in the chat says, you know, Emery, what beat do you cover? And I'll repeat it again. Football at every single level. I mean, he is he is helping us on CBS Sports HQ with everything from Division Two to FCS to college football to the NFL. Uh, part of our, our live betting episodes on Sportsline and the early edge. You can get his picks on Sportsline. But I wonder, Emery. I wonder, Emery, where the NCAA tournament ranks in your uh, in your world. I know we got spring football going on. There's a lot of places that uh, that are that are happening during March. But did you know what happened between Illinois and Chattanooga in the NCAA tournament this year? I do know. I, I do. I love college basketball, by the way. Okay. So you, the, for those who are listening or watching and might not know, it was a classic 413 matchup, right? You know, this is where you find a lot of upsets. And the mocks were really, really good last season. And Chattanooga led against Illinois for 39 minutes and 30 seconds before a furious late charge by the Fighting Illini allowed them to escape with a 54 to 53 win. And as Jamie points out in the chat right now, as you can see on the screen, this is a revenge game for the mocks. 19 is a lot of daggone points. No play from me on this one, but uh, it is, I always like to laugh about the wouldn't it be hilarious moments. And if we've got some March Madness revenge in September, well, that, that might categorize as that. Coming up on the other side, we take a look at Friday's slate, which includes an ACC matchup in the Dome where it has been electric. Plus, get Emery's thoughts and feels going into the battle on the Bayou and what we've seen from Shadur Sanders in this season so far. All that and more next. Emery, I, I watched every snap of the end of Purdue Syracuse, and I've never been so angry as a football fan. Like, as... <laughs> As somebody who's entertained by the sport, sure. I mean, we were just doing the all PI offense, right? You know, chuck it up there. Hope you, and then then Syracuse on defense would commit penalties that would help keep Purdue drives alive. I mean, the the ending was absolutely bananas. Credit to Garrett Schrader uh, for being able to deliver the on the money the ball that he needed to the game winning touchdown. And I think that you know as we start to look ahead to this Virginia Syracuse game, this is one where you know the fact that Syracuse's defense was able to uh, come up with some stops, get after the pass just a little bit that that's probably going to be really important Virginia well again a ridiculous ending to the game against ODU incredible they were able to push it down the field after it looked like the Monarchs were going to be able to get in and out of Scott Stadium with an upset victory I'm looking at the orange favored by 10 points at Caesar Sportsbook right now over under a 53 I mean Emory is that too many daggum points for Syracuse to be favored by after they escaped with the win two teams that escaped with the win. What are we expecting from this ACC matchup on Friday? Oh man, it, you know, it is a lot of points. Um, you, you're dealing with two terrific quarterbacks uh, in the ACC. I, listen, I'm a bit, anytime you get me to talk running backs, I'm always, I'm all for it. You know, Sean Tucker is my guy, right? I know he had a bad game last weekend, but Hey, this dude is still one carry away from always breaking it. So 100%. that's, that's, I'm all in for game breakers. Virginia, Brendan Armstrong does a solid job of just competing. I just love, I think he's college football's version of Ryan Fitzpatrick. You just want to play for him because he just competes, right? He's never feel like he's out of a game. Uh, and do I trust the Hokies deep? I'm not the Hokies, the Cavaliers defense there. Um, I, I don't know, man. I love how Schrader's protecting the football. I love how Syracuse looks like how they're supposed to look under Dino Babers. This is what you expect this team to look like all the time. 
And maybe both teams got their scare last weekend. But I still feel like 10 points is so many points here with two teams that are probably very similar. So I'm going to say I think Syracuse wins the game, but I'm going to take UVA in the points here. 10 points is far too much for this matchup with these two type of uh, teams, with these two type of quarterbacks. You got one guy that never says die, and the other side, guy is playing, you know, solid football is protecting the ball, which is what you want. But at some point, you know, it's going to revert back to the mean, and he can't sustain that level of, you know, productivity. So I see a closer game, but I do think because they have the explosive game-breaking element in Tucker, I'm going to roll with Syracuse to win, but not by 10 points. So, um, number one, Syracuse's new offensive coordinator is Robert Anai, who came from Virginia and helped Brennan Armstrong have that explosive season last year. So there's going to be some... Um, institutional knowledge in how to limit what Brennan Armstrong is going to be able to do. Number two, I think Virginia's offensive line is is really struggling. You know, Victor Oluwatimi, you know, he goes and now he's an important part of one of the best, uh, you know, offenses in the country at Michigan. They wish they had him in Charlottesville still able to hold on to that. And I think the Syracuse's defensive front has a real edge to it. Okay? They can play nasty. They can get after the passer. They can make Brennan Armstrong run around. That said... 10 points is too many daggone points. I'm going to tell you that's you, you go and you look at a double digit spread for a Friday night game in the ACC. And it, I think that this a hundred percent sets up for something that's going to be way closer than it should be. And it's not going to be smart. It will be dumb. There will be mistakes made by both of these teams. But I think that for all of the advantages on paper that Syracuse has, I think that this is just a few too many points. Some people in the chat uh, have been asking for for Bud's picks here, and I, I'll go ahead and just tell you right now, Bud likes this so much he liked it at thirteen. So he this is this Bud all in on Syracuse to be able to uh, to win big against Virginia uh, in this particular game. Uh, also on Friday night, we've got Nevada at Air Force. Air Force favored by twenty four over under a forty seven. Emery, I don't know. Air Force didn't look right against Wyoming. Now we had a couple players that were out. It looked like looks like they were really going through it. Tough, tough, tough couple breaks. Now I don't, I don't know if that team was was really bringing their best uh, their best health, their best energy. You know, every, everything to that game. Hopefully, Troy Calhoun's group is a little bit better. But this is a Nevada team that enters the game two and two with a loss to your team, Incarnate Word, as you told everybody to watch out for Incarnate Word in the upset on the early edge on Sportsline. With the Falcons favored by 24, over under 47, what's, what's the best way to attack this game in your opinion? Listen, if you, you set it up perfectly because normally people want to stay away from big spreads, but you got to find the, the one that makes sense. This makes sense. Nevada is not going to muck the game up like Wyoming tends to do, right? They tend to bring you down to their level and you have to slap box with them in a foxhole. That's not going to happen against Nevada. Everybody that that of significance that is for Nevada outside of Toa Tower, um, you know, and their defensive lineman, Deion Jackson, they're all playing for Colorado State. So Nevada is still in a rebuild mode. And you have that combined with you're facing a quadruple option with Hazik Daniels that can throw the football and an Air Force team that is strong on both sides of the football. I still think this is Troy Calhoun's best team he's had out there in Colorado Springs, and they're coming off of a loss. Lay all these points with 
Air Force against uh, you know Nevada defense that's going to give it up far too many uh, times in this ball game. Big plays galore on a perimeter, right down the middle of the field in the run in the run game. In the passing game, Hazik Daniels will make you pay too. Um, I think they this is a get right game for Air Force. They get back on the right track. They try to get everyone to forget what happened, you know, out there in Laramie. And they, and they remind folks that this is still a very strong uh, Air Force football team. So there's too many variables, in my opinion, for Nevada defensively and on offensively. Um, I don't think they have enough firepower to keep pace with Air Force. Air Force is an explosive offense. People think option teams tend to play these 17, 14 games. No, one bad decision and it's a touchdown. You know, is you you have no room for error against an option team and Air Force with their speed and the way they run their option, their slot bone attack, uh, with the uh, ability to throw the football. This is a this is an easy game. Twenty four points to me is a bargain <laughs> right now against Nevada. Lamb, no oh, Air Force might get this thing to forty easy and then just be able to cruise the rest of the way. Uh, you mentioned the explosiveness. This is an offense that just put up like multiple fifty plus touchdown yard plays like i mean it's just they they do have great speed at the skill position and nevada's nevada's going through it right now i uh, if you were on the nevada under four wins maybe you were sweating just a little bit as they already have two but luckily incarnate word were able to to help you out right there i i feel very good about that and this is an important conference game for an air force program that wants to compete for a mountain west championship they've already taken that one loss in conference play at wyoming uh this is this is when the revenge tour begins okay uh last one of the night on friday boise state utep utep great story last season right we're able to like finally be bowl eligible then at the end of the season, things kind of slid just a little bit. Still, we're able to uh, you know, get those six wins. But th- so far this season, they've, they've been struggling, especially struggling on offense. I look at this uh, UTEP offense as being a, a reason why the Miners find themselves as heavy favorites. But I ask you, Emery, should it be em- enough? Because Boise State beat New Mexico by 17. New Mexico beat UTEP by 17. Why will Boise State not win this game by 34 points? <laughs> oh, my goodness. 34 is a lot, man. I know. Uh, so I, I guess, you know, for what's the line in this one? 15 and a half over under a 45 and a half. It, it's 15 is 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 almost a lot, right? You And UTEP's offense is not helping out the defense, which is weird because last year it was UTEP's offense uh, helping out their defense you know, by scoring all these points and making a game a shootout, but they forgot all their offensive plays in 2021. Um, defense has now stepped up and and getting stops, and offense can't help. I, I say lay these points with Boise State. I just can't trust what used to be well last year, and even sometimes in 2020, outstanding run game. You know, efficient passing. You know, with, with, with the quarterback Hardison and a defense that was learning how to win. They lost some pieces last year, which is why their defense ten, you know, struggled. Those young pieces they replaced last year are now experienced, and they are you know, still they're better now, but offensively they're struggling. They can't hang their hats on, pun intended, they can't hang their hats on the one area of their game uh, where they were strong last year, their run game. So for me, I'd say it's a comfortable bet. Boise should be able to take care of business here against the miners. I it hate I hate it for the miners because I like seeing these teams, you know, get back to 
you know, solid play and they become bowl eligible. I like seeing UTEP in the bowl game, but man, their offense from start to finish, you know, to where they are now has just not been good this year. And look, Boise State's defense got carved up in one half by Oregon State, but that group has settled down and it has really become a little bit more of the Boise State defense that I know I expected and many others expected coming into the season. You know, Oregon State lights them up, but then since then it's 21 points allowed total in the next two games. That's like the the strength and the weakness lineup. I, I don't know how many points UTEP scores in this game. And as Bachmeyer continues to get a little bit more confidence and as the Broncos offense continues to get a little bit more confidence, I, I see Boise State being able to win this one handily. Uh, so I will also take Boise State and lay those points. And we, we have to also consider Oregon State is good this year. Like oh, Oregon yeah. State is actually good. Um, so in hindsight, that may not look like a bad thing that Oregon State did what they did. Now, they're going to have a tough test this week against USC, but we're still talking about a very solid Oregon State team. So would, what do you think is going to happen there in Corvallis? USC, big, like looking good, feeling good, coming to town. I mean, this is just like on the spot, early bird talk right here, you know, as, as we're just sort of figuring things out and dialing in our picks. You know, we'll be, we'll be, um, you know, we'll be giving out more on Sportsline on the early edge. Make sure you, that you subscribe to, to those places as well to hear much more of Emory uh, as well as myself. But do you have a good, uh, a good read or a thought on that USC Oregon State game in terms of what your expectations are? Absolutely. Lay those points with USC. I think it's six and a half right now. Lay yeah. those points with USC. And this will be one where, you know, you're going to get it's your typical Pac-12 David versus Goliath matchup. We want respect. So expect the first quarter to look like, man, what the hell is going on with USC? And next thing you know, they're up by three. And next thing you know, in the second half, they're up by 14. The next thing you know, they're up by 17. I say this is an easier game uh, to predict because of how explosive and dynamic USC is. So even though I just you know, gave Oregon State their flowers. They're not there yet to where they can go toe-to-toe with USC. Um, I mentioned that the FCS power rankings are released weekly on CBSSports.com. Emery is the author of those. They will be coming out tomorrow uh, for the upcoming week. Last week's poll, Jackson State was two, was at number 10 after their 2-0 start. You know, they, that was coming off the win against Tennessee State. Well, the offense, which cooked against Florida A&M and then was you know tested a little bit against Tennessee State. Well, it was back and rocking and rolling. And I, I look at Shadur Sanders right now. We've seen the completion percentage go up 71.4% so far through three games. He's got 10 touchdowns. He's got zero interceptions. Yards per attempt is up. Uh, what do you make right now uh, of Jackson State, that offense, and sort of where Sanders has come in his own development as a quarterback? Man, that's a great question, Chip. Because there's a lot of things that have, that are you know factors here. Uh, I remember coming him coming out of high school. I wasn't sold on him because I was like, yeah, they playing in a a really curated, you know, Offense? Catholic, Catholic oh, uh, league. Uh, league that's you know, um, that's kind of like what Arch Manning is going through right now at Newman. I, I'm very familiar with Newman and who they play, so I get why people have some concerns. But I had those concerns about Shadur Sanders. Then you're just thinking like, okay, maybe this is a daddy ball situation where is he really that good? And then he gets out there last year and was phenomenal as a freshman, a true freshman, seeing the game like a senior. And I'm like, man, this dude legitimately is outstanding. And he won the, the Jerry Rice Award, which is given to the top freshman at the FCS level. This year, behind what is 
the best offensive line they've had in quite some time because Deion Sanders said, we're going to revamp this entire offensive line. That was a weakness last year. We couldn't run the football. Shadur was under a lot of pressure, which was so true, and he still had a phenomenal year. The O-line is a strength. The run game is a strength. And Shadur right now has, what, 10 touchdowns, no picks. Right. Um, and is working touchdown to check down. The, the way this dude sees the field, it's beyond – his sophomore title. This dude is legitimately um, a pro talent. And I feel like one more year of this, and then next year he'd be a true junior. We may be talking about him leaving Jackson State early to go to the NFL draft. I think he's about, he's listed as 6'2 or whatnot. It's probably about 6'1 maybe, uh, maybe about 205 pounds, which is fine. Size is not a skill. We know Bryce Young is 5'11. 195, but I tell you what, man, Jackson State won't lose a game in a swag. Period. Their toughest challenge was FAMU, and they beat the doors off FAMU. I don't see anyone competing with them on a perimeter up front, and definitely not in the secondary. They got some dogs out there. They can and what makes them special in the secondary is they can man up across the board. And normally when you watch college football, you have one dude that can that can man up. You don't have four. And they have four dudes that can man up and they are able to get to the quarterback as well. So they won't get challenged until they get to the celebration bowl against a MIAC opponent, uh, which quite honestly is up in the air right now because you might have North Carolina Central who's looking outstanding and you might have South Carolina State that's still in the mix, but also keep an eye out for Morgan State as well. They, they look really good on defense and up front along the offensive line. So that's the only test I see for Jackson State because, again, they're going to go undefeated, which means they're going to win the swag and not be able to make the playoffs because they're going to have to go to the Celebration Bowl. Um, but Shadur Sanders, man, outstanding player, bro. If they go undefeated, if Shadur's – I mean, because um, it's, it's the Walter Payton Award for, like, the overall player of the year, right? Correct. I mean, he would be in the mix for that as well. Yeah. If, if all that starts working, you know, you know where this is going to start leading, right? I mean, there's, there is going to be – how much do you think the impact of having Shador Sanders uh, there at Jackson State and, you know, one more year potentially away from uh, making his move to the NFL, where do you think Coach Prime is in terms of his willingness to entertain uh, an offer or an opportunity to, to leave and take another job? Because it, I think that you already start to see – based on the success that Jackson State has had and based on the impact that he's had on that program, you're already starting to see at least the – I can speak from the fans, right? I'm, I'm not – look, I'm not Mr. AD man. I'm not Mr. Go talk to the administrators. But, like, you can already see the fan support at some of these places where a coach is on the hot seat and it's like, hey, bring bring us Dion. Let's go. Like, we, we would be ready to do it. Do you think that Shador's own career would impact his decision on whether to go or stay? Or do you think that that would even become like a, a package deal situation where you'd end up getting coach and quarterback uh, with one move? No, nah, I honestly, here's what I truly believe. I truly believe he stays at Jackson State regardless. And the reason why I said that, because when you look at a lot of the schools, the HBCU brand is as unique as the Ivy League brand. If the Ivy League decide to, to really, you know, take football seriously, they could just move up to the FBS and dominate right away. They got all the money. They got the history. They got the prestige. HBCUs are the same thing, you know, especially those steeped in history like in the SWAC. So you talk about Jackson State, FAMU, um, Southern, Alcorn, all of these play Grambling. When you look at the attendance, 
they're averaging, they always lead the FCS in attendance. Jackson State is averaging 50,000 fans a game. FAMU is averaging 40,000 fans a game. Tennessee State can average that amount as well as, you know, um, Grambling, Prairie View, all these schools that have these, they have big, they're essentially the Sun Belt Conference playing FCS football. And they're out attending a lot of these schools. So I think the plan, the big picture plan for the SWAC is to consolidate some more of these or grab some more of these teams that are in North Carolina A&T, Tennessee State, make this a super conference and then make make a move to the FBS because you already have the stadium, you already have the infrastructure, you already have the unique brand to where you can make money off the band, you can make money off the culture, you can make money off the product itself. Um, So there's no need for Dion to leave. There's a need for the SWAC to move up. Mm. And I think that's where the the mission is. That's where the goal is. Um, And I I think that is irregardless of whether or not Shador goes off and jumps early to the NFL, because I don't see Dion taking an NFL job. He wants to coach these student athletes and he has a great opportunity to really elevate or help be a part of the elevation of the swack as a whole. Think about it, man. You you look at some of these attendance records. Last weekend up here in, in New York City at MetLife Stadium, Morehouse and Howard. Now they're not two door beaters. Morehouse and Howard put 30,000 in MetLife Stadium. Morehouse is in Atlanta, Howard hey, yeah. in DC. See. You know what I'm saying? So they can elevate and make this thing big. I think that's the the overall big picture goal for Dion. Dion's an Under Armour guy, right? Yeah, he he's a he's an Under Armour. Yeah, I think he's Under Armour. Yeah. So if there was an SEC program located in Alabama with Under Armour affiliations that decided to move on from a coach, let's call him I don't know, Ryan Barson, and let's just say, hypothetically, hypothetically, and let's just say there was some support for finding yourself someone who would come in. You 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 think that Dion Dion wouldn't be intrigued by going to coach at Auburn? I played a song back then. You didn't want me. Now I'm hot. Now you all on me. They didn't want me back then when I was trying to get the job. Now that you see what I can do again, I hate to keep bringing up the same quote, but it makes so much sense. It's so profound. Yesterday's price ain't today's price. I don't want the job now anymore. I'm building something. Now I will say if a billion dollars were laid out on the table, sure, we can talk about it and reconsider. And maybe my thoughts and, and all my convictions change. But if it's not a billion dollars, then I'm staying where I'm at. All right. Uh, and I, as as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, and as you've mentioned, uh, former uh, Louisiana running back Emory Hunt, in addition to like all of the things that uh, we have we have detailed that you do here in football at every single level, it is the battle on the bayou. Cajuns got four straight wins in the series, uh, but man, tough, tough loss last week. 33-21 to Rice. ULM is on the struggle bus right now. What do you what do you expect from your Cajuns as they as they go into this rivalry game this weekend? First of all, I was loud and wrong all on HQ all last week, you know, talking about rice. You know talking what I'm about, saying? Talking about cooking I, owls. Talking about cooking owls, talking about what Cajuns do to rice, all different ways you can cook rice. My bad, rice. I get it. You know what I'm saying? However, this is still a big brother, little brother situation. You mentioned four straight wins against ULM. It's going to be five, you know, until I see ULM play defense, um, until I see them, you be able to contain 
the the big play, like the Cajuns, the Cajuns are a big play offense, to be honest. Not only can they run the football, but you have two NFL prospects at tight end. You know, one being Johnny Lumpkin, who could block but also get down the field. They got two NFL prospects at tight end. They sound like Georgia, you know, to me. You know what I'm saying? With, with all the pro prospects at tight end, the Cajuns still have enough talent up front. Not everybody went to Florida, you know, with Billy Napier. They still have enough talent on defense. Not everybody went to LSU, you know, like Makai Gardner. You know, we still have so much talent in the backfield. So I feel like if you all, if you are UL Monroe or Northeastern Louisiana or Northeast Louisiana, Ooh, like they used to be called. Um, yeah, just, you know, I, I just feel like it's a, it's a bad matchup, you know. And then the only reason why I'm not going so far in uh, on UL Monroe, because there's some Cajun ties there on the coaching staff, former teammate of mine. So I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more nice and respectful to some of my family members, friends that are, you know, now Warhawks. So, um, but outside of that, there is no chance in Acadiana that UL Monroe pulls an upset on America's team, the Raging Cages. No way. Whatever the point spread is, I think it may be 11. So even Vegas feels like this is going to be a blow. Lay those 11 points comfortably with the Raging Cages. They take care of business against the Warhawks. There's no threat. We're on to next week. Lay them, that's what Emery Hunt says. You can follow him on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. Uh, he is the owner of Football Game Plan and, again, contributor at CBS Sports HQ or the Early Edge Sports Line, CBSSports.com, uh, just everywhere and now uh, a part of the Cover 3 family. Emery, thank you very much. 